The scripture reading today is from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. This is the word of the Lord. So grateful for the opportunity to to be with you today. See a lot of familiar faces here this morning. Uh, Some older acquaintances, some newer. John Schwab was my little brother's best friend in college. Or maybe not best, maybe that's overstating. Good friend, good friend in college. And of course, Colin, Colin Gingrich was a former student of mine. And I'll tell you, honestly, a really good student, which I'm sure does not surprise you. And uh, I, I serve, I've served three churches in the PCA. One was a church plant in the mainline area of the city of Philadelphia. Uh, one was a multi-ethnic work uh, just outside the city of Philadelphia, where I served for 27 years. Then most recently at uh, St. Stephen uh, in New Holland. And having moved back out to Lancaster County, um, it's been great to follow you, see how the Lord's been blessing your congregation. Uh, and it's just a blessing that you can have a Troy as your, as your pastor. And as I said, it's an honor. And I'm really glad. I'm glad you have a sabbatical policy here. Because I can tell you for sure that after this last year, he needs it. He needs it. So let him alone, okay? (laughs) So today we're going to be looking at the important dynamic between leaders and followers, specifically in the church. In the book of Hebrews, as you know, we have the convincing case of the superiority of Jesus and the salvation that he has brought, sacrifices that he gave and his triumph over sin, death, and the grave for you and for me. As the letter comes to a close in chapter 13, there are, there are several important matters that the writer addresses very succinctly, and this is one of them. So Hebrews 13:17 addresses the dynamic between leaders and followers in the church, between shepherds and sheep. And so today we're going to be looking at three things. First of all, what sheep should do. Second, what shepherds should do. And thirdly, how sheep can help their shepherds. First of all, what sheep should do. We, as you know, are all called sheep. And I'm so grateful for the planners of the service for so uh, wonderfully blending the, the music and uh, the liturgy to the theme for the day. But one of the books I have in my library on church health and growth has a chapter entitled The Fine Art of Followership. The author wrote it's the followership teaching which has been most neglected in our churches. I think that's true. And you will notice, first of all, that As we're looking at what sheep should do, we remember that Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. He is the one who called us. We responded. We are his sheep. 
We know we are his sheep because we heard his voice and we are following him. The great dynamic in John 10 is that the shepherd knows the sheep and the sheep know the shepherd. And we can count on him. We have to be sure to look to him as our chief shepherd. But we also have to take seriously the fact that though he is the chief shepherd, he has chosen to call human under-shepherds to care for the flock. These are the elders of the church. In uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 5, Paul told Titus to appoint elders in every town. There's a plurality of elders in every church. Same thing in Acts 14, 23. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church. So the scriptures identify those who are gifted and called to bear uh, this burden of caring for the flock, elders. But the scriptures also identify those who are particularly gifted in preaching and teaching. And so they're identified in Ephesians 4.11 as pastor teachers, as shepherd teachers. So in our particular polity in the PCA, we have those who are ruling elders and those who are teaching elders, those who are the pastor teachers. But I I should also note that we are also given the office of the deacon in the New Testament. And deacons are called by the Lord to serve the flock as well, but they are in a supportive role as their primary obligation is to take care of the physical needs of the congregation. The New Testament is clear that those who are called to the primary responsibility of caring for the flock are the elders. But this is increasingly difficult. Any idea of authority is tough in our society because people really don't like the idea of authority at all. We go, uh, for many, many years, we've gone up to a little old broken down cabin in the woods of Lycoming County, and it's called Aunt Nettie's. There's no relation, but that's where we go. The only thing that's beneficial about it really is a big wraparound back porch that has a spectacular view, and there's no uh, cell service. There's no internet. I know kids are rolling your eyes. What do we do there? There's a lot to do there. Um, but at night, at night, if you get your AM radio out, you can pick up some 50,000-watt stations that are still broadcasting. And one evening we were back there and we're listening, and I picked up WBZ. And George Carlin was being interviewed, and George Carlin was asked if he still believed that 60s adage, challenge authority. And he said, I do not. He said, I believe that it's now destroy authority. And I think that's the general attitude that we see in our culture. But when we read our Bibles, it's very, very clear that God has delegated authority to particular individuals in the, church, in the, in the world. There is the authority of the civil government, which sometimes is very confusing to understand how to submit to that authority. We have to be very careful to uh, seek the wisdom of the Lord and counsel with one another based on scriptural principles. We also have the authority of the family, parents in, in their homes, and so children, you understand that it's your responsibility before God to respect your, your father and your mother, even though they're not perfect, and they will be the first to tell you that they're not perfect, but nonetheless, you were called upon to respect them because in respecting your parents, you're learning how to respect the authority that comes from God. But then there's also the authority that's delegated to the elders of the church. This authority is delegated by the Lord and is thus accountable to him. 
It's to be exercised according to his word. And it's always for the well-being of those who are called to submit to that authority. That's one of the wonderful principles that we see in scripture that whenever someone is called to submit to authority, those who are in authority exercise, hold that authority for the benefit of those who are called to submit. Very countercultural. So elders are called, gifted, and qualified and confirmed to exercise this authority for the well-being of the flock. And in our text this morning, when it speaks of leaders, it's speaking about the elders of the church. These are those who are in view. And what are the sheep told to do? Obey your leaders and submit to them. Well, that's pretty strong language, I think you will agree. It's pretty plain what it means, but as I just indicated, I believe I qualify that by the fact that when we're called to submit to the elders, we have to understand that they, as our shepherds, have our well-being in mind. This particular word means to be persuaded or to have confidence in your leaders. Rick Phillips makes a comment that the word obey has specific reference to receiving the teaching given by spiritual leaders. So when we are submitting to those who are in leadership, we are respecting their responsibility to teach and preach, particularly uh, the teaching elders. So when Pastor Troy was installed, the following question was asked of you, those of you who are here. Do you promise to receive the word of truth from his mouth with meekness and love and to submit to him in the, in the due exercise of discipline? And uh, I wasn't here, but I imagine most of you said yes. And what a blessing it is to have a, a faithful minister. Uh, Jonathan Edwards wrote, a faithful minister that is in a Christian manner united to a Christian people as their pastor has his heart united to them in the most ardent and tender affection. And they, on the other hand, have their hearts united to him, esteeming him very highly in love for his work's sake, receiving him with honor and reverence and willingly subjecting themselves to him, committing themselves to his care as being under Christ their head and guide. When such a minister and such a people are thus united, it is attended with great joy. And I think you know that, that great joy. The same could be said of the relationship between elders and the flock as well. Now, the second word is a, a fascinating word because this particular form of the word submit only appears in this sentence in the Greek New Testament. It means to yield, to give way to, to respect. So in summary, what these two words are saying is respect the authoritative leadership that the Lord has placed over you for your well-being. Leon Morris wrote, the church cannot be expected to do its work effectively if their followers are not loyally supporting the leaders. It's a matter of fact that we're often slow to realize to this day that effective leadership in the church of Christ demands effective following. If we're continually critical of them that are set over us, small wonder if they're unable to perform the miracle that we demand of them. If we bear in mind the work's sake, we may be more inclined to esteem them very highly in love. So what do sheep do? They're to respect the leadership, follow your elders. Second, what leaders should do? They serve the flock. And as you look at this text, as you, as you look at these words, you can see that the weight of the text is primarily on what followers do, what sheep do. But it can't be overlooked 
the responsibilities of elders cannot be overlooked. The only time that the Apostle Peter spoke to elders is in 1 Peter chapter 5. And he tells those who are called to be elders, he said the one thing that they're called to do, which all obviously has many implications, is to shepherd the flock of God. That shepherding imagery, that metaphor is so endemic in Scripture, so common in Scripture. And so you can think of verbs like knowing the sheep, leading the sheep, feeding the sheep, and protecting the sheep. For our purposes this morning, we're going to take a look at that which is said here in the text. Um, They're leaders, and so they're called to lead. Peter says in 1 Peter 5 that those of you who are ruling elders are are elders who are called to lead by example. I don't know how many of you have uh, been to Israel. I had the privilege of going many, many years ago. And uh, I wasn't on this particular trip, but I do know that the Israeli tour guides are very, very knowledgeable. They know everything. They know history, they know geography, they know the Bible probably better than most people who are, who are on their tours. And on this one occasion, the Israeli tour guide said, well, now we're going into Bedouin country. We're going to be seeing a lot of sheep. And what you're going to be seeing is that sheep uh, always follow their shepherd. The shepherds are never behind them, driving them. And so they head down the road a little bit, and sure enough, look out the window, and they see this man driving sheep down the road. And they call the tour guide's attention. He gets off. He stops the bus, gets off the bus, and he uh, speaks to the man. He gets back on the bus with a sheepish grin. Sorry. And uh, he says to the people, he says, that wasn't their shepherd. That was their butcher. So, you know, as elders are called to lead, lead by example. And I believe if your elders are anything like the elders who serve with me at St. Stephen, uh, they have done a, a, a really good job. It's been a challenging job. The last year has been the hardest. I've been in pastoral ministry for 42 years. And this past year has been the most difficult of all 42. No, no doubt. Hands down, the most difficult. And between March of 2020 and June of 2021, when I retired, ordinarily we would have had 14 session meetings in that period of time. We had 44. Now, most of them were Zoom. But you have no idea, my friends, what your elders are doing behind the scenes. You have no idea. You have no idea the kinds of communications they've received over the last year. But yet they're called to, to lead this congregation through, uh, through the darkness, through the challenging, through, through the waters, the difficult waters. But specifically in this text, it says that they watch over you. They watch over you. Now this is really great shepherding language. Uh, one of the other words that's used for watching over is, in the, in the Greek, it's episkopos. It means to, literally, to watch over. So the root of the word is skapos, which means to see, to view. And then the prefix is to watch over. And we find that in several texts in the New Testament. But the word used here is a little different. It's the same imagery, but the idea is that 
Shepherds passing sleepless nights. Leaders standing guard, keeping watch over your souls. In such a concentrated watchfulness, sleep is lost. And it communicates an intensity of concern for the sheep, for your spiritual well-being. And there to, to oversee the health of the church, but also the health of your souls. We have physicians in whom we place great trust and respect for watching our physical health. Some have accountants and bankers who watch over financial health. The leaders spoken of here are those who are charged with watching over your spiritual health. Now, how serious is this? Take a look at this. This is quite remarkable. Because the writer says why this is important. Because they are those who will have to give an account. They are those who are going to have to give an account. And one of my professors used to call this a text that terrifies. Another said, these aren't mere words, they are thunderbolts. And the uh, word translated given account is used many times in the New Testament to refer to that ultimate accountability that we will all face one day. Matthew 12:36. I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for in the day of judgment. There is one example. But an accounting for what? What do the elders have to give an account for? Well, they have to give an account for your souls. Now, I don't know what this is going to look like. But all I know is that here it is, clear, uncompromising. Now, when Paul addresses the Ephesian elders, he reminds them that they are to shepherd the flock of God, which he purchased with his own blood. They are very precious to the Father. That's why the work of your elders is so serious. But even making it more serious is he accounting to whom? The accounting is to God. Paul obviously understands this as he, again, writes to the Ephesian elders. He says, I am innocent of the blood of all men. He was, he was understanding that he was accountable, but he was confident that he had done uh, his correct stewardship this is the reason that genuine elders lose sleep over their flocks. Counting sheep doesn't put them to sleep, but concern for sheep keeps them awake. Now, does anybody count sheep anymore to go to sleep? I don't think so. That's an old image, but I think you understand where it comes from. And this is the reason that there's such a clear directive for Christians to respect those who are in these positions of leadership. And so we've seen what sheep should do. We've seen what shepherds should do. They need to lead, they need to oversee the flock as those who are called to give an account. But I wanna get very practical now on the third point, how you can help your shepherds do their job. The text says, let, this, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. I wrote a book called The Shepherd Leader, which talks about this, uh, this important subject. And as I was writing the book, I uh, visited some shepherd friends of mine. 
And uh, it was really, really great experience. And after the book was published, I went to see them. I took a copy, couple copies of the book, hoping that they would uh, appreciate seeing what their input uh, had provided. And as I'm going in their driveway, I don't see any sheep. And I got into their, into their uh, property, and Bob and Betty came out, and I said, uh, Bob, I said, where, where are the sheep? He said, we don't have any sheep anymore. I said, why? He said, no, we only have goats. And I said, why do you, why'd you get rid of all the sheep? He said, because the sheep are too hard to take care of. What does that tell you? And so if you're driving in eastern Lancaster County down 322 between Blue Ball and, and, uh, and Honeybrook, you'll see a little sign. It, used, it says, Nick's Besser. It used to say, Nick's Besser Sheep. None better with a little sheep face. But now it says, Nick's Besser Goats with a little goat face. It's quite, quite stunning. Let them be your shepherds with joy and not with groaning. The ideal is that there is a mutual respect between shepherds and the sheep, that caring for the flock is a joyful labor for the shepherds. John MacArthur wrote, it's a serious and all too common thing for uh, people in church congregations to rob their leaders of the joy God intends. Failure to properly submit brings grief rather than joy and consequently brings grief and displeasure to God who sends them to minister over grief, over, over us. Grief, the Greek word means an inner unexpected groaning because lack of submission is an expression of selfishness and self-will, unruly congregations are not likely to be aware of or care about the sorrow they cause their leaders. So are you determined that your, the work of your leaders will be a delight and not a drain, a pleasure and not a pain? I have uh, four very uh, pointed applications for you in terms of how to, how to do this. And uh, basically what I'm doing in the following closing minutes of the sermon is just reminding you of what you already promised to do as a church member. First of all is follow the good shepherd. Follow the good shepherd. When you join the church, you acknowledge that you were a sinner in the sight of God and without hope except in his mercy, you expressed your faith in him. But you also said, do you now resolve and promise and humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as a follower of Christ. And so the most important thing you do is, can do is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And even your leaders, the Apostle Paul said, uh, follow me, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But your leaders are those who are most filled with joy when they see that you are growing in the Lord. Second of all, keep the peace. Question five that you affirmed was, do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? And Paul wrote to the Romans, as much as it's possible with you, be at peace with all men. Someone once said that each of us carries around two buckets, a bucket of water and a bucket of gasoline. Whenever there's trouble, whenever there's a spark, each of us has a choice to make whether we're gonna throw the bucket of water or the bucket of gasoline. And believe me, in the church, it's important that we be carrying a lot of water um, and not be those who uh, cause an incendiary explosion in the church. The church should be a no-grown zone. You may quote me. James 5.9 says, Do not grumble against one another, 
so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And if you have a problem with someone, how to keep the peace of the church? If you have a problem with someone, go talk to that person. I used to tell our students at Westminster, you need to preach on Matthew 18 once a year. So you understand that if you've got an issue with somebody, you need to talk to them and not everybody else. Such a key uh, to uh, an environment of peace in the church. If you have a problem with a leader, also. I know some of your leaders. They're approachable. If you've got a problem with a leader, you've got an issue, you've got a question, go and speak to them. Don't talk to these people over there. And we're also told to, in that one, to... um, submit to the government and discipline of the church. Now, church discipline is just the commitment of the shepherds, if you stray, to come and find you. So also in Matthew 18, how many sheep have to be missing for the good shepherd to notice? This is your Bible quiz for the morning. How many sheep have to be missing for the good shepherd to notice? One, that's right. And your elders are, are watching over you, and if they see, if they see that you are are straying. It's their responsibility. They're not trying to be mean. They're just trying to fulfill their responsibilities as a shepherd because you are important. A couple of months ago, uh, Barb and I were headed out of the house. I don't know where we were going, but we were driving down the road, and I had my, uh, my Wi-Fi, my, my Bluetooth, my phone was playing through the radio, and we, we took a turn, and I heard a thump, and suddenly the music went off. And I realized, I realized that when I had gotten in a car, I had put my, put my phone on the roof of the car. And so what I heard, the thump was the phone bouncing off the trunk into the uh, side of the road. And that's why my music went off. Somehow, I don't know how I was smart enough to figure that out so quickly. But uh, Barb and I went back and by God's grace, we found the phone on the side of the road, and it still worked. And I'd also put my keys up there. But the keys had just slipped down the rear windshield and kind of stuck in that, that spot there. But there was no way, there was no way I was going to go any further without finding my lost phone. If a phone is valuable, think how valuable you are. Your elders care for you, and they will come for you if need be. So, second thing is keep the peace. First thing is follow the good shepherd. Third thing is do your part. Do your part in the church. Question four of your membership commitments. Do you promise to support the church and its worship and work to the best of your ability? Now, supporting the worship of the church has been very challenging lately uh, in the times of, of COVID, but we're commanded that we are to gather together. We're not to neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I have to admit to you that when when this COVID shutdown began, I don't know how you did it, but we would come in Saturday night and we would record the service and we'd make it available to the people on on Sunday morning. And I have to admit to you that, yes, uh, even I, I enjoyed getting a little extra sleep on Sunday morning, we started a routine of Pillsbury cinnamon buns, you know, before we, and, uh, and uh, not, I didn't have to get dressed up to, to watch the, the service with my family, and, but it's not the same. 
It's just not the same. Our worship together as the gathered people of God is a means of grace. And I know there, I know there are reasons that people are still failing to come back. I know there are health reasons. But I also know that there are people out there. I know there are people out there in this church probably who are just a little too comfortable in their sofas on a new Sunday morning routine. And so I say to you, come back. Come back. And you will, you will then remember what a joy and what a blessing it is. And also to use your spiritual gifts. You know, the fall is a time when people are picking up ministry. Uh, in a lot of churches, they're looking for children's ministry volunteers, youth ministry volunteers. Have you found your spot of ministry? Because we also know that the scriptures say that each of you is important. Paul makes the case, 1 Corinthians 12, that each of you has a, a gift that you should use. Uh, some of you are hands, some of you are feet. Uh, I happen to be a mouth, but the mouth will be no good without the hands and, and the feet. I know that all too well. And the other analogy I like to use is uh, the, the analogy of a, um, a musical organization. Now, some of you know, not many of you, but you wouldn't need to know, but I'm telling you now that I'm a tuba player. As people say, you're a professor, a preacher, a tuba player. You have to have a lot of hot air to do all three. So it's not such a strange juxtaposition of, of, of things. But, you know, the problem with the tuba. Now, children, when you're thinking about picking up an instrument, the tuba is a very big instrument. But I warn you in advance that the tuba never gets to sit in the front row. Tuba is always sitting in the back. If you want to sit in the front row, you play the clarinet or the flute. That's, that's what you play. But, and if you're a tuba player, you rarely get to play the melody. And if you get to play the melody, people kind of chuckle. That's a tuba. But let there be no doubt that the tuba is important. You don't even know how important it is because it's laying the foundation for the, peep, the piece of music. And so it's the same in the context of the ministry of the church. We all have our particular part to play, so to speak. And each part is important to bring the musical performance together, to bring the, uh, the unity and the uh, work of the church in harmony. So I encourage you to to do your part. But then finally, in terms of what you can do so that your leaders will do this with joy and not with groaning, remember to pray. Remember to pray for your leaders. Verse 17. I'm sorry, verse 18. Pray for us for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. And I'm sure your leaders would echo that. They would say, please, please pray for us. So are you, are you praying for your leaders? I know they covet your prayers. So I encourage you, my friends, you think about how you can encourage your elders to do their work with joy and not with groaning. Follow the good shepherd. Keep the peace. Do your part. And remember to pray for them. Uh, the, one of the texts for meditation was from Judges chapter 5, and that I, I recommended that just because uh, in that chapter there's a great victory 
uh, over the Canaanites. And the song of praise echoes these words, that, that the leaders led, that the people volunteered, thanks be to God. That's the synergy that God has brought about together in each of us. And I think it's appropriate that we remember that we are all accountable to the chief shepherd. All of us are accountable to the chief shepherd for our walk uh, with him. But knowing that it's impossible for us to fulfill anything he calls us to do without his mercy and his grace, without being in a right relationship with him first. But having been in a right relationship with him paves the way, opens the door for the great, amazing advance of the gospel uh, in this world through us, his flock. Let me pray for us.